Hello, and welcome to our show. Thank you for joining us. I am Mary Tarsha, and again, I have here with me Dr. Darsha Narvaez. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Narvaez. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. And today, we have a really exciting show because we are discussing uh, and investigating a question that maybe all of us have thought about from time to time. Are humans basically violent, sex-crazed, and selfish? So what are your first thoughts on that, Dr. Narvaez? My first thought is no. Ah, interesting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So let's di- yeah, dive in here. Why is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, this kind of hyper-Darwinism, which has uh, invaded our culture in the United States, tells us, you know, that selfish genes are the dominant player in our lives. Not much we can do about that. It's true. You know? Yes, we hear that. Uh, at least that's in the popular mind. It's not, if you look at the scientists who study these things, they would not say that. But that's how the the public tends to see things these days, and they're getting interpreted that way, which kind of leads to a fatal fatalism or a pessimism mm. about doing anything about the terrible straits we are in. You know, ah, oh, it's just human nature. What can we do? All this violence, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, and also another question is, this related is, are we competitive or cooperative? And we hear the same thing over and over again, that question asked. Right. right. And so the dominating kind of view is competition is just the way it is. Mm-hmm. Cooperation, mm-hmm. ah, that's just, you're just being sneaky, mm. a sneaky competitor manipulating people if you're cooperative, right? So there's always this selfishness that's assumed. Mm. Now, it pays to kind of read widely and realize that and look at our history as human beings, but also our history as members of the Earth community. Mm. The Earth community is super cooperative. Interesting. Uh, well, and just think of your own body. How mm-hmm. many—so uh, if you think about what genes you carry, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 90 to 99 percent of them are not human genes. Yes, isn't that interesting? Yes. Yeah, so yeah what do we mean by non-human? That sounds very odd and maybe Uh-oh. scary to some people. <laughs> so realizing that, mm-hmm. in our, you're a community yourself. Mm-hmm. You would not be alive without those m- trillions of microorganisms that are mm-hmm. keeping you alive, and those are the genes you mostly carry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that means, too, that if you think about what competes between us, uh, it's really, uh, you know, 99.999% per, of our genes are cooperating. Our, yeah, at least, mean. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. They are the same. They're conserved from the prior generations. Mm. And only a tiny bit, a few um, base pairs are competing among us. Oh, interesting. From generation to generation. So we're really, and then you think of, I think we've talked about this before, right? A banana. Mm-hmm. Do you know how many genes you share with a banana? No. 50%. Oh, my goodness. So ne- think of that next time you want a banana. It's a wow. cousin of yours, right? So, uh, <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> so if you look at the natural world, though, it's it's uh, just a cooperative complex of mutualism mm-hmm. among uh, ecosystems. You know, the orchid and the, the bird that loves this particular orchid, they love each other in a way. They mm-hmm. mutually support one another with pollen, etc. And uh, in every ecosystem on the earth, there are all these little cooperative relationships. Yeah. And even you just go for a walk in your backyard and forest on the beach, and you can't help but be overwhelmed by how many different systems um, are existing and coexisting and cooperating yes, together. Yes. Yeah. So uh, if you just understand that we come from a history of cooperation, that the whole natural world is cooperating. Then you ask, 
well, are we competitive or cooperative by mm. nature, human beings? Uh, and people think that um, the kinds of things we see today, this extreme in-group or out-group orientation or inequality or willful greediness or this sense of you know being feeling superior to every other kind of uh, entity on the earth, People think, oh, that's just the way evolution is, you know. Mm. But in an alternative worldview, which I call here in my book, uh, the 2014 book, Neurobiology and the Development of Human Morality, I call it the cooperative worldview. These days now, I would call it the indigenous worldview. Mm. And in that worldview, extreme individualism is insane. Mm. Or disordered. There's something strange about a person who acts like an individualist. Uh, inequality is immoral. Extreme in-group, out-group orientation is immoral. Willful greediness is also immoral. The sense of human su superiority as well. I mean, there's so many things that we think is normal mm -hmm. <laughs> that in this alternative worldview is seen as, are you crazy? Right, right. And isn't that rooted in... Uh, survival and in flourishing, right? It seems like today in our contemporary worldview that we are really supported with that individualistic mindset, me, myself, and I in my career, and build that bank account at whatever cost, right? Rather than seeing um, how my actions contribute to my immediate family and to the larger world and trying to think of all of us as a group. How can I help and support not only myself, but those around me that we're all in this together? It's a very different mindset, right? Right. And I just uh, talked about this in my class yesterday, the history of how this happened, how we got to this detached, individualistic, hmm. uh, self-oriented worldview. And it has to do with the, it started, I mean, it started really 10,000 years ago, but <laughs> the worst of it maybe in the last thousand years, hmm. and then in particular the last 400 years. Absolutely. So it's what's happened shift. is uh, the enclosures that occurred around 1,000, uh, 1,200 um, in Yeah, England, what do you mean by enclosures? An enclosure yeah. means that the wealthy people just decided they're going to take over the commons the commons, the forest where everyone would go and gather firewood or wood for their home or mushrooms when they were hungry or berries or an animal for dinner. Uh, the wealthy people started to pull those into privacy. They pri hmm. started to privatize the commons. Interesting. And what happened, this really accelerated in the 17th century and led to all these people being displaced starvation, oh, wow. homelessness, which it didn't happen before then mm -hmm. because you could go, always go to the forest and get something to eat if you were hungry. So no one starved. But now you were uh, kept out of what were called enclosures, privatization of property. Mm. And there's been a history now in the last 400 years of spreading that same kind of treatment of taking the commons away from regular people all over the world. Mm. And so we have disruptions everywhere. And what it did in the 1700s, uh, Carl Polanyi has the book called The Great Transformation. What it did is it, it uprooted people. They became, um, it destroyed community. It destroyed self-governance and the ability to make a living where you were born. And it made people callous and wow. greedy and restless. And those are the kinds of people that came to the <laughs> 
the America, my ancestors, the conquistadores, mm-hmm. were noted for that kind of personality of mm. destructiveness and mm. uh, wantonness, recklessness. Mm. And uh, so that's been spread all over the world in part from this kind of greedy one percenters <laughs> taking over <laughs> sure. uh, what is a common, uh, our commonly shared goods, water, land, even now air. Wow. So really going from this is something for us. This is a piece of land for us to this is mine and mine only. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That yeah. attitude. Right. Yeah. So it shifted um so it used to be that the earth was considered part of, part of an organic whole, uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, a divine order, the great chain of being where everything had an order and a place. Now, that wasn't great uh, during patriarchy for women because women are always below men in this order. But at least the natural world was considered to be, you know, sacred in a way mm. um, and treated uh, not in a reckless way and a sense of, you know, we're all in this together, but it's in the particular order. That was destroyed as these enclosures occurred, as a scientific revolution came where things were suddenly me- mechanical, you know, treating the world like a clock instead of mm. an organic whole. And so there's a whole bunch of things that happen all at once. The explorers um, were able to navigate the world, finding a so-called empty new land, mm. the new world. Right. No uh, one here. <laughs> right. Oh, because dear. they only assumed uh, land was being rightfully used if it were cultivated. Uh. And you cut all the trees down and you made farmland out of it, right? So when they arrived, the Native Americans were caring for the land. Absolutely. But they don't do it that way. They, you know, have burnings in the forest to bring the kind of vegetation that bring the deer by and so on so they could have um, a good uh, hunting season and so on. Uh, so there was a lot going on. It's just that the Europeans didn't see mm. uh, a different way of being uh, when well, they arrived. Yeah. That is a really different way because it's not just, uh, I was saying, the difference between this is ours and this is mine, but even what I hear you saying and how it's described about historically, what you're referencing is that it's this earth is us, right? So it's not just us as in um, people, me, myself, my family, my in-group, but also all humans and animals. And so it's just expanding and expanding so that this this us becomes part of this one large system, which includes all of the natural world. Yes. And so the indigenous worldview, which we all have our ancestors in that worldview, uh, treats natural world as part of that sacredness, yeah, the sacred that beautiful? whole. Wow, that's fantastic. So we need to get back to that. Yeah, so because, how is that related yes. to our selfishness, right? Right. So uh, I talk about in the 2014 book how our early experience shapes us to be either cooperative or uh, leaning more cooperative or leaning more uh, self-centered and competitive. Mm. And uh, I cite... Um, Colin Turnbull, an anthropologist, British anthropologist, who talks about in his book, The Human Cycle, his own childhood, Hmm. and contrasts that with the Mbuti, who he studied in Central Africa, and how their childhoods were. Oh, I love this part of the (laughs) book. It's really, really neat. And I think there is an innate curiosity, you know, growing up that you wonder what other people's childhoods are like, or at least I wondered, <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure others do too, wondering how their experience differs from others. 
Yes, so the Mbuti are the forest people. He wrote a book called The Forest People as well, and they're very much uh, peaceful people who consider the forest to be a mother or parent Mm. uh, that cares for them. And they spend their childhood in free play and cooperative, coordinated activities. Um, The children do with other kids of multiple ages. And they develop their senses, their intuitions, their way of getting along with others and in the natural world, naturally through these playful experiences. And uh, they are, by the time they reach adolescence, they feel ready for life. They're full of life. They're full of, uh, you know, being ready to launch into an adulthood, to find their place on the earth. And he contrasts that with his own experience. He was uh, had a harsh nanny hmm. growing up, which was common mm-hmm. in that era. And he was sent to boarding school. Oh, wow. And he was punished um, for various things. And he, by the time he reached adolescence, he felt very empty, like he didn't have anything to contribute. And he says, then they could control me. But uh. he was expected to go in the fighting ring and box other kids and, you know, take one for the team and be aggressive for the team. And if he didn't do that, then he wasn't being a good team member. And this kind of um, urge or manipulation or coercion to be a conformist, to be part of a violent uh, kind of culture is so different from the Mbuti, who actually find themselves growing into being a a cooperative member of the natural community. Wow. Well, so what you're saying is that so much contributes to are being competitive or being cooperative based upon the type of upbringing we have, but also the environment and the cultural context in which we're um, being raised, right? And this is just a really great example, contrasting these two right here. Yeah, and how many of our teenagers are entering teenagehood, I think, not feeling really secure, right? right. But anxious and self-doubting and self-critical. Right. Right. We don't provide the supports that are needed in babyhood, in early childhood, childhood, adolescence. Mm -hmm. We leave people out to dry, and so they're going to be more inclined to find something, anything, to feel secure. Mm -hmm. And so they can latch on to things that aren't so good or helpful. Mm. Right. So then with the Mambuti, their sense of relationalism to others and to the world then perpetuated their cooperation, right, and in not being violent and not being aggressive, not being selfish. Right. Yeah. That was assumed that uh, people are naturally cooperative and kind mm-hmm. rather than what we assume to be natural, selfishness and aggressive. Wow. Yeah, it's fantastic. Right. So how can we apply that um, now, I mean, so many of us are um, living within a culture. We're going, trying to go against the culture. We're trying to create cooperative um, environments, right, for our children or in the workplace. Or could you speak a little bit? Uh, we just have a few more minutes, so um, speak to that. Sure. I think uh, it depends on the age level that you're talking about. If you're a parent and what you do with a child. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. So it depends on age, right? It has to be age appropriate. This is <laughs> very critical. And so 
maybe some things, maybe if we can start, I think if we've talked about before with infants, right, what, those, that's a really important time. And I know we've said this um, previously, but it's so important because these experiences carry long lasting effects. So, right. right. So you want to treat your child cooperatively. Mm. You want to cooperate with their basic needs, which are many in babyhood. Mm-hmm. And you certainly don't want to do it alone as a mother or father. You want to have a, a set of caregivers that help you so that that child never feels like they're abandoned. Uh, they don't feel like their needs are being ignored. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you set things off on a good f- uh, footing, a good foundation, they're going to be very cooperative later. So your cooperation with their needs is actually going to build a cooperative nature in the child. Yeah, that's that's really profound. Rather than seeing their needs as competitive to your needs, rather than seeing um, uh, their needs as competitive to the family at large or to another family member, but rather it's a cooperation that's taking place. And so right from the get-go, it's a, com- a cooperative relationship, right? That's right. And then uh, over time, as they grow older and they have more, they're, they're ready to help. So let them help when mm. they're two one and a half, two, and they help <laughs> sweep, but they make a bigger mess. But that's all right, because they're building at that time point. They're all ready to build those habits of helping. Mm-hmm. So a lot of American parents complain their kids don't want to do any chores. Well, in part, it's because they prevented them from doing them when they were this Isn't that that sensitive period of, mm-hmm. of learning to help the family. Mm-hmm. So you want to follow their uh, growth patterns, their needs and their mm-hmm. urges, whatever those are at the time, and and uh, shape them into ways that are pro-social, that uh, support the family, and forgive them when they're still learning, you know, how to handle something. They may make mistakes, but that's okay because mm-hmm. they're becoming human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good advice. Very good advice. Wonderful. Well, th- thank you so much for um, your time today. And I think that really helps um, educate us and enlighten us regarding this very important question. Are we cooperative or competitive with each other? And now we have a clear answer for that. So thank you so much, Dr. Narvaez. You're welcome.